0: Uh, the uh, story that we're jumping into, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, is a story from the Old Testament about a woman named Ruth. And in your sermon notes, you can grab these, if you're watching us online, you can go to centeringlives.com and download these. You're going to find out that Ruth was a special woman. Um, the whole story of Ruth takes place in the days of the judges. That's why the story of Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Bible comes right after the book of Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, in order, because Uh, The story takes place during that time. And during that time, people were doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. I mean, you'd have to imagine a time when people were living, even the people who knew about God's word weren't living according to his word, were doing whatever they wanted to do and justifying it. I know you and I have to stretch our imaginations to imagine people living at such a time. But that's where it was happening. And by the way, this is one of the things I always want to start with. People sometimes tell me the Old Testament doesn't apply to us today. Well, you're going to see again in this third installment in this this story, it all applies to us. I mean, God has been working through the lives of people. This is a story 3,000 years old, but it reads as well as any story you could read online today. God's Word is living and active. If we trust God's Word, He will guide us through His Word so we can have abundant life. If this is good news for you today, would you say amen? Yeah, that's why we study it every week. So... Ruth is a story. It's a love story. Uh, Ruth is a faithful woman living during that time. Last week, we met a man named Boaz who is a faithful man living during that time. And the question would be, would the faithful woman and the faithful man actually meet? And here's what happened. Ruth came into the story because she married into a family. The head of the family was a man named Elimelech. He, he was uh, living near Bethlehem, the place where Jesus would be born a thousand years later. But he was living near that village. There was a terrible famine because the people had turned away from God. And when the famine came, instead of everybody getting on their knees, some of the people like Elimelech left, took his family, moved to a, a nearby country where the grass was greener, literally. There was a little more rain. And uh, they moved there for about 10 years in the land of Moab a place where they didn't worship the God of the Bible at all. They worshiped a wicked idol, a warrior god named Chemosh, the destroyer. And Ruth had grown up in that culture, but uh, Elimelech had two sons, and Ruth married one of those sons. Uh, The other son had married another uh, woman from Moab, but during the 10 years they were there, Elimelech and both of the sons died, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law three widows. You need to know that during that time, widows had, women had far less rights. They had far less opportunities than men. And if you didn't have a man to take care of you and you were a widow, you were in real trouble. And so Naomi's heard that God is blessing the people back in Israel again, 10 years later, and she decides to go back. She has limited options. There might be somebody who has mercy on her back in Israel. So she decides to go back. She tells her daughter-in-laws to stay, one does. Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. And in your notes over here, you will see that Ruth was a woman of hesed. We talked about this. It means loyalty, faithfulness, and true love. Naomi had told her, Ruth, go back to your people. You can marry again. You're still young. We get the idea. Ruth was probably in her 20s or something like this. She had a chance to start over. And Ruth said, no, I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to take care of you Uh, because Naomi was really in a desperate situation. I'll go with you and I'll help you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. They had introduced her to the God of the Bible, the creator God of the universe, who is nothing like Chemosh the destroyer. This was a God of love, a God of loyalty. And Ruth said, well, if you worship a God like that, I want to worship a God like that. And so she came back with Naomi to Bethlehem. Well, their options were very few, there was no social security or there was no food stamp program or anything. There was an opportunity, though. It was harvest time. Every year during harvest time was an agricultural economy. In the Bible, uh, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, there are places where uh, the people are commanded to always, when they harvested their crops, to not harvest the corners or the edges of the field. And if they drop some heads of grain on the ground and leave them there, the poor people could come along and glean them. They could come along and pick them up put them in a basket and then whatever they collected from the scraps on the field, they could keep for themselves. Gave them a hand up, not just a handout. And so people would go out to the fields. It was all done by manual labor. We talked about this last week and you can watch the last couple of uh, messages online if you want to and kind of binge watch them and get the whole story here. But anyway, uh, so what happens is, is that uh, Ruth goes out to a field to do this, uh, to pick up some scraps to provide for her and her mother-in-law. Well, this is in the day when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and human trafficking isn't something that was invented in the uh, last couple of years. Ruth could have easily disappeared. Had she gone into the wrong field, I mean, who knows what could have happened to her? And in the story, it turns out that God providentially guided Ruth to the field of a righteous man whose name was Boaz, and this is in your outline too, that Boaz was a man, here's another Hebrew word, it's pronounced Chael, kind of like Loch Ness, the C-H part, Chael. It's really fun to say when you're trying to clear your throat. Anyway, but Boaz was a man of Chael, a mighty man of valor, sterling character, and integrity. And last week we talked about that God providentially guided this one righteous woman into the field of a righteous man. She was out there picking up heads of grain and Boaz came to the field and said, who's that woman? They go, that's the woman, the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. And so Boaz goes over and goes, man, I heard about what you did for Naomi. He was a relative of her uh, husband that had passed away of Elimelex, And he said, man, I respect you. Tell you what, during harvest time, you stay in my field with my workers and I'll protect you. And so all during the month of May and during the month of June, just this time of year when they were harvesting barley and wheat, Ruth could work every day and she came home with enough grain every day because Boaz even told his workers, hey, when you see that girl going behind you and you get a bundle of grain, pull out some of the heads of grain and leave it for her. I mean, these were professional harvesters. They're going, you want us to do a bad job? Yes. Okay. And look out for her. He told her, you stay in my field, nobody's going to touch you. And so for a couple of months, she's gleaning and picking up all this. She comes home with enough grain. They probably have food for the rest of the year, but not for the rest of their lives. And this isn't a permanent solution, but God has shown them mercy. So this is a story between, it's a love story. Can Ruth and Boaz actually have a relationship that goes on past harvest? The other theme that runs in the book of Ruth is this. The story of Ruth is also a story about how God providentially brought hope and blessing to Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth. Because here's what happened to Naomi. Naomi had chosen to become bitter and angry at God over the deaths of her husband and her two sons. We went over this a couple of weeks ago, but when they got back to Bethlehem, the women of the town knew that Naomi had left with her husband and sons 10 years earlier, and when she came back, she came back with just this Moabite daughter-in-law. And they said, is this Naomi? And she goes, don't call me Naomi. Listen to this. This is what she said. Instead, call me Mara, which means, Naomi means pleasant. She said, I'm changing my name to Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Empty. Now, look, if you change your name to bitter, you're bitter. Man. Imagine going to a conference. Hello, my name is Bitter. Okay, not talking to you. I mean, she wanted everybody to know, I'm bitter. I used to have a husband and two sons. God gave me a raw deal. I'm bitter. Call me bitter. Hmm. Could God ever change the heart of somebody that's that hurt? that's that angry, that's that bitter? Could God bring two people together who are faithful in a time when very few people are faithful? And could God do all of this at one time? I hope you're interested in the story because this is where we're going. Here's a life application. God can do things that are impossible for us. God can do things that are impossible for us. Listen to Ephesians 3.20. The apostle Paul says, Now all glory to God, who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And you know what amen means? It means I agree. So if you agree with that statement, would you say Amen. amen. Yeah. Or amen, if you're here in this house. Anyway, it works either way. But the idea is this, is that if I am going to trust God, I am trusting that God can do things I can't do. He could heal the heart of a woman who's so bitter, she changes her name to bitter, and bring together a faithful man and a faithful woman at a time when they are really hard to find, and he could do all of it simultaneously. In chapter 3, we're going to find out the next step in this story. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is an amazing story of your providence. How you go ahead of us and you guide us and you protect us in ways that we can't even imagine. You guided Ruth to the field of the one righteous guy who would take care of her. She didn't even know where she was going. She just picked a field. And because of that, Lord, you're making a way forward for them. as we read this story, we can look back thousands of years and see how it all worked out. But at the time, they were just taking one day at a time, just like we are. I pray that today, as we go through this story, you remind us you're working in our our lives, just like you did in Ruth's life. You're guiding us. Doesn't seem like it. Ruth was a widow doing the work that poor people had to do. She knew she had enough for harvest, but then what? She didn't have guarantees. But, Lord, she trusted in you. She told Naomi, your God will be my God. I'm going to trust him. Oh, God, I pray that today we'll trust you more. Show us a little bit of how you're working in our lives as we look in the story of Ruth and Boaz, chapter 3. Move me out of the way, Lord. Say whatever you want to say to us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you open up your outline, we're at point B here. Naomi, the mother-in-law, when she saw that Ruth, Ruth came back the first day after gleaning and she had this amazing big basket full of grain that something was unheard of. And she realized when she asked where she'd gone, she realized that Ruth had found the field of Boaz and Naomi had never even told her about Boaz. And she goes, oh, God must be providentially working here. He's providing a way of rescue. He provided grain. He provided a safe place for you to work. At least there's rescue during the harvest time. But but now the story has gone all the way through May and June, and the wheat and barley harvests are over. And it's time now that Naomi says, hey, I got to do something that's permanent here. And so she's going to coach Ruth how to approach Boaz, who doesn't have a wife, to see if he'll maybe take care of Ruth and provide a permanent home for her really for both of them. Here's Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time I found a permanent, and if you could circle the word permanent there, that'll come back, a permanent home for you so you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at at the threshing floor. A threshing floor was just a hilltop that had been pounded hard like this platform that I'm standing on would be. Hard packed clay where the community had gotten together, they'd sheared off the top of a hilltop, pounded it flat. And this was a hill they had chosen because the wind would come off the Mediterranean and would just blow at certain times of the day, a really strong wind. Winnowing is where you take the grain that's been gathered in bundles, you lay it flat on the threshing floor and you beat it with sticks or you have an ox tumble rocks over it or something to shake the grain loose from the heads. Then when the wind kicks up in the afternoon, in the evening, you have guys out there, winnowers, they have a winnowing pitchfork, it's a big long pitchfork, and they would take piles of the grain, throw it up in the air, all these wheat stalks. Well, when the wind comes through, it blows the chaff and the straw away, the grain is heavier and it falls back down. You do this a few hundred times, and pretty soon you just have only grain left. Make sense to everyone? It's called winnowing. Terribly hard work. Don't recommend it. Anyway, uh, (laughs) it was a good time, but this is what they were doing. And so then you would pile up all the grain on the edge of this platform, on the edge of this threshing floor. It would take you several days. This was a community threshing floor, so you had your turn. So each farmer in his turn, he had stacked up all the grain from his wheat and his barley He'd stacked up and he had to wait his turn on the threshing floor. So you get the idea, Boaz has his turn on Thursday. And so once you know what's going on, Boaz a close relative of ours. He's been very kind letting you gather grain with his young women over the last couple months here. Well, tonight it's his turn, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put perfume on and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and cover his feet and lie down there, and he'll tell you what to do. Okay, i got to explain this too. So, while they were threshing there, it took several days. This is the days of the judges when everybody would do what was right in their own eyes. Your grain pile wasn't safe. So, Boaz and his men would sleep out on the threshing floor to protect the grain pile. It was a time of harvest, though, when you could actually, all the work you'd put in for the whole year now was paying off. I mean, you would see the pile grow. Every time you'd brought some more uh, of the the bundles in, the pile would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it was a time of celebration. He said, you know, he's going to be in good spirits here. And so after he's finished with dinner, he's going to be in good spirits, he's going to be tired, he's going to go lie down, find out where he is, and go lie at his feet. This was a, an act of submission. If you went and laid it at someone's feet, you would say, I am at your disposal. I need your help. I'm willing to be your servant. I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. I mean, the parallel with us would be when I bring something to Jesus. I mean, people, we even sing about this in certain songs. When we have a burden, I come and lay them at the feet of Jesus, which means I surrender them to him. This is symbolic. And so Naomi is saying, go do this at night at the threshing floor. And the reason, one of the reasons that's pretty, seems pretty clear why she would do this is Ruth is from Moab. She doesn't have any rights as an Israelite woman. She'd been married to a guy who died, but the Moabites weren't considered righteous people. This guy, Boaz, was very righteous. And if Ruth approached him, he may not go for it. And Boaz, and Naomi is saying, hey, go approach Boaz in the middle of the night. If you do that, if he doesn't wanna do this and you ask him to help you and he turns it down, you can leave and save face. Nobody will know you ever talked. It's probably the only time that, they, that she could figure out where Ruth could go and it would be confidential. Make sense to everyone? It's also a terribly risky time because this is a day and the judges, remember Boaz had told her, you stay with my men, And they'll protect you. Well, that was during the daytime. If you're out at night, man, the wrong person gets a hold of Ruth. Again, she could just disappear. So Ruth does this, though. She says, look, I'll do everything you say. Ruth replied, so she went down to the threshing floor that night and she followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. And after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. About midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Yes, he was surprised. Okay, (laughs) oh, there's a woman lying at my feet. Hmm, that wasn't there when I went. She wasn't there when I went to sleep. This is a surprise. And he said, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. I mean, he's sleeping under a, a blanket or a cloak that everybody kept with them. You would keep a... Uh, You know, you think of Joseph's coat of many colors. Well, everybody had a cloak that they would keep with them. And you would use it not only as a a robe, you'd use it as a a sleeping bag type of thing, as a blanket at night. And she had uncovered his feet and she said, I need you to put the covering over me and protect me because you're a family redeemer. So this is this week's Hebrew word. I've introduced you to hesed and of loyal love and chael, a man of sterling character, now I want to tell you that Ruth was asking Boaz to be her goel. Goel. This is an interesting word in the Bible. It's worth studying because this is an amazing word, and it means a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. There's no exact equivalent in English. That's why it's this hyphenated word. I mean, this is a special thing. So it's pronounced goel. Could we say that together? Goel. And what this was is is that the people of Israel. When God had given them the promised land, when they arrived in the land that he'd promised them, he instructed Joshua to divide up the land among the different tribes, among the 12 tribes. So they had divided up all the land. Well, each of the tribes was composed of clans, and each of the clans had families within them. And so it was terribly important to the people that, the land that had been distributed to their tribe and to their clans stayed within the family, uh, stayed within the family. And so when you had a clan, if somebody died, you would have a nearer relative that would help buy back the land because you can imagine if you had all the land sold off to another tribe, soon this tribe wouldn't exist. They wouldn't have any place to live in the promised land. But the land was always passed down through the sons. And this is why it was such a hard thing if you're a widow because the land then had to be passed on to another man. And so there were people within the clans who would protect the land and they would protect the name of the family. And so here's what she was asking. A kinsman redeemer was a blood relative who could buy back family land or family members who'd been sold into slavery during hard times when you ran up a big debt, I mean, today we run into all kinds of people of all kinds of financial debt and other things. There weren't bankruptcy laws like today. If you ran into debt, you had to pay it back. And if you couldn't pay it back, you could be, everything you had could be sold and you could be sold. Your family could be sold into slavery and for a certain wage, for minimum wage or whatever, you had to work that many years to pay it back. Well, you take somebody like Ruth and Naomi. I mean, they're in desperate situations. They don't have any money. And so somebody from the clan needs to buy back the land. It's the only thing they have left. But along with that, would they, would somebody be honorable and not just buy the land, but take care of them? It's important to note also that Um, If any of your fellow Israelites fall into poverty and are forced to sell themselves, they may be bought back by a brother, an uncle, a cousin. In fact, anyone from the extended family may buy them back. This is why it was so important to approach Boaz. Now, a kind and godly kinsman redeemer would also fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If If a man died, then his wife, the widow, the brother would marry the wife take her into his house and take care of her the rest of her life this was the provision and it tells us in Deuteronomy 25 um, if brothers are living together one of them dies without a son his widow must not marry outside the family her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her and the first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And then one day he can inherit the land and the land can stay in the family and the, land, and, the land, and the family is part of the clan, part of the tribe. Ruth is coming in from the outside. Naomi's telling her this is the way business is done here. And Naomi says, I'll trust you. And so she presents herself to Boaz and says, cover me I need you to buy the land and take care of me. Will you be this kind of man? Man, she's trusting him. Because if he was a dishonorable man, mm, there's no telling what could have happened to Ruth. And there were plenty, that's why Naomi says, make sure you know where he is. Don't do this with the wrong guy or you're in real trouble. I mean, this is important. Now here are a couple of life applications for you and me. And again, when people tell me there's no application on this, it's like, are you kidding me? Listen to this. Jesus is our kinsman. Remember, this is a kinsman redeemer. Somebody from your family who can buy you back when you're so hopelessly in debt, you can't pay it off yourself when you're in an impossible situation. Well, in the New, in New Testament, Hebrews 2, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, meaning Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is our kinsman. This is, he became one of us. He became, part, he became fully human and fully God at the same time so he could rescue us from sin. Jesus is our kinsman. This is why we celebrate Christmas when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When God became human in order to save us, he became our kinsman. Make sense to everyone? Here's a second application. Jesus is our redeemer. Peter, one of the disciples, wrote this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. This is why we celebrate Easter. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for my sins and yours. In fact, the last words he said on the cross were, it is finished, which could also be translated as, Paid in full. The penalty for my sins and yours. I am hopelessly in debt to God for all of my sins. Jesus was my Redeemer, paid the debt in full. He died in my place, He died in your place. If this is good news to you, Dave, will you say amen? amen? He was able to do that because He was fully human, just like us. He's our kinsman. So let me give you one other application here real quickly. If we place our faith in Jesus the same way that Ruth placed her faith in Boaz, then he will rescue us from sin and death and give us a place in his family. This is what she was asking Boaz to do. Will you take me into your family and rescue me? Without your help, I will never be rescued. When we come to Christ, it's exactly the same thing. I am hopelessly lost as a sinner. Oh God, will you rescue me? Will you adopt me into your family? And praise God, he will. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 3.21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. If you've ever tried to be perfect in keeping all the commandments in the Bible, you know that you can't do it. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is true. Some of you need to hear this today, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Sinners as bad as me. As bad as you. And to place our faith in him means to come to him and say, I can never be rescued on my my own for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace, his undeserved kindness, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. And people made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood to redeem them. When I come to Christ, I'm doing exactly what... Ruth did when she came to Boaz. I'm a widow from Moab. I've only been able to gather grain because of your mercy. I need a permanent solution here. I need you to adopt me into your family. I need you to take me into your family. You're a relative. The Bible says you can do this. Will you do this if you're willing? When you and I come to Jesus, we can go, I'm hopelessly lost in my sins. I'm such a big sinner. I could never pay for all my sins. But I'm coming to you, Jesus, and if you're willing, you could pay the penalty for me. You could die in my place. You could adopt me into You could make a way possible for me to be adopted into God's family. Will you do this for me? And let me tell you what Jesus says. Yes, I will do this for you. I love you. That's what happened at the cross. Man, this is such a marvelous parallel. Well, back to the story of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was more than willing to be a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. And he reassured Ruth that he would do all that was necessary to rescue her. So the conversation is still happening at the grain pile at midnight. Who are you? I'm Ruth. I need you to be my Goel. I need you to cover me. He understands exactly what she's asking. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more Hesed, even more family loyalty than you did before. You are a woman of Hesed. Wow. She's special. I mean, you love Naomi, but now you're even a- approaching me. For you you've not gone not after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what's necessary, for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there's another man who's more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight. In the morning, I'll talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you and rescue you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I'll redeem you myself. Now, lie down here until morning. I mean, he knew it wouldn't be safe for her to travel again at night. We'll take care of you here. And so Ruth lay down at Boaz's feet until morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. That would start all kinds of rumors. And then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. And he measured six scoops of barley into the cloak, and he placed it on her back, and then he returned to town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? And Ruth told Naomi everything that Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley. And he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Remember, Ruth said, God brought me home empty and I'm going to be bitter. And now God is sending Boaz. And he's saying, don't go back to her empty-handed. Remind her there are righteous people and God's looking out for you. I promise today there'll be a solution to this problem. Hmm. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. That man won't rest until he's settled things today. And Boaz is so flattered. He's an older guy. She's in her 20s. He's probably 40, pushing 50. We don't know. And what's so great is, in the middle of the night, he knows all about what she's asking. He knows exactly the hierarchy. That means he's been thinking about this. It's not like he woke up and knew all the family lineage. He'd looked it all up. He'd been thinking about this. But you get the idea he hadn't proposed it to Ruth because she goes, she'll never go for me. She's young and beautiful, has a future. I'm this old guy. And now he's going, oh man, Ruth, this kindness is greater. You could have gone after young guys. You could have gone back to Moab. You could have started a family all over again. And you're going to choose me? Whew, I'm working on this today. (laughs) He is too. And man, if you want to find out how it ends, you better come back next week because it gets really good. I'm telling you, it does. But there's another thought I want to give you real quickly. You and I can trust that Jesus has done all that is necessary to rescue us permanently. Remember, this was a permanent solution. Boaz said, hey, I don't want Naomi to forget. I don't want you to go back empty handed. I don't want Naomi to think you made all this up. Here's a deposit that I'm going to take care of this. Here's six scoops of barley. Ephesians one. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy spirit whom he promised long ago. And the spirit is God's guarantee. In the margin there, you can write deposit down payment, all those words work that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. One of the great things is when we come to Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and dwell inside of us to empower us. And oh, he does all this so that we can be sure that he's gonna take care of us and that heaven is waiting for us and we don't need to be afraid. There's a permanent solution. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah. Let me have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for the opportunity to talk about the story of Ruth. And, oh, God, I just pray that today you'll remind us that you are a God who keeps your promises and you can do things that are impossible for us. You providentially guided Ruth and Boaz together. You providentially provided through a man like Boaz a way for Naomi to realize that her life was not empty She gave up on you, Lord, but you didn't give up on her. And I pray that today, somebody who needs to hear that would hear that loud and clear. God has not given up on us. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son into the world to be our kinsman. I thank you that he died on the cross to be our redeemer. And I thank you that if we come to you like Ruth, you will give us new life, eternal life, and provide for us permanently. Please let us embrace this, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is our Goel, our kinsman family redeemer. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.